Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <clears throat> You're listening to the Sands Pants Network. Home of comedy, <laughs> culture, adventures, and ghosts. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George DeMarellis. This is the show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about it. Today on the show, we have an Order of Australia recipient, as well as the founder and CEO of Little Dreamers, an internationally recognized not-for-profit that focuses on improving the emotional and physical health, well-being, and resilience of young carers. Madeline Buckner, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I always get really awkward when people read out bios. It's like when people sing you happy birthday. And you're just not really sure what to do. So you just kind of sit there awkwardly. <laughs> to be honest, I don't get my bio read out that much, but uh, <laughs> we obviously <laughs> roll in different circles now, nah, but I do know what you mean. Because you just kind of sit there being like, yeah, that's all true. But like, you know, I'm just, I'll just wait for this. Yeah. What do I do now? What face do I make when someone's reading out what I've done? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's very awkward. <laughs> yeah. No, look, I can understand that. That's uh, yeah. Don't look too proud of yourself. <laughs> Tall poppy syndrome. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's better. Look, I think that everyone appreciates that more than you correcting me afterwards and be like, ah, you didn't mention also these <laughs> other three awards I've got. So this interview is cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're all good. <laughs> yeah, I did skip a few awards. So I could have mentioned those as well. This is your subtle way of doing <laughs> No, please don't do that. <laughs> so we've got like... Just to go on, your background, what you've done is amazing. And uh, we'll go into all of that stuff because it's all super interesting. And it, it touches on a lot of stuff right now, especially with the mental health component that I really want to talk about. But before that, how about we start with a book and then we'll jump around from there. So I'm excited. So your book of choice for today is? Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> a absolute classic. So I was happy when you said Harry Potter series and you picked that as your favorite because totally, that's clearly the best one. It is clearly the best one, but I think they're all good for various reasons. But whenever I think of the series, my first one that has had a massive impact on me, or the first one that I think of is The Goblet of Fire. So I feel like that that's the key one to start with. Yeah. No, I think, uh, look, they're all, yeah, no, nah, I, I disagree. It's, just, it's clearly the best. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's a roller coaster. It's tight. It's the return of Voldemort. It's, it's everything. Yeah. It's the setup of everything. It's where everything changes. And it's where I think you get to know the characters a lot more. There's a lot more character development, but it's where everything changes from like this nice kids book into a book that like changed literature, I think for the better. So I feel like it's a good one. Yeah, you're starting off with some bold statements. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the uh, fun fact and personal fact about that, when I read, it, it had just come out when I read it, 
Um, so I'm slow, probably showing my age here. You're you're a little bit younger than me. <laughs> I remember in my day, it was <laughs> the printing press was pounding that day. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, I went to school and a kid at school ruined it for me. So when I went into school, he ruined the ending. And after that, I was like, I'm never going to read. I'm never going to let that happen again. So every single time a Harry Potter book came out, I would get it in the morning and I would not talk to anyone. I would read the whole book the whole day. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly what I did. And I made sure that we pre-ordered all the books so you got it the day that they came out. And I remember going and standing with my dad in the line at the bookshop, bookstore to pick it up. And also, yeah, reading it within 48 hours of it coming out. And you couldn't speak to a single other person because someone was going to ruin it for you. And then all hell broke loose. And so I would just become this person where all I did was read for 48 hours. And I haven't had another series of books like that ever. Yeah. It's interesting. I know. Now that you're saying that, actually, that is a good point I haven't thought about. Like, it was such a global event. Like, I don't think anyone could probably appreciate how much it was... They've had to plan to ship everything everywhere around the world and everyone got it on the same day. And yeah, it was it was an event. Yeah. And there hasn't been anything like that with that mass hysteria where they've had to like embargo books. Like it was just, I don't know. Have you seen the movie Devil Was Prada? Uh, no, I should, I should watch uh, it though. Okay. Meryl Streep, yeah. Yeah. So there's a scene in it where she gets the kids get a pre-printed copy of the latest Harry Potter book. And it's unbound and it's what probably would have gone to the editors and things like that. And it was like this crazy thing where she had to, Anne Hathaway's character had to like run around the city getting a copy of this book before it got published because it was such a thing that nobody could get their hands on. And if you had a copy of it, it was unheard of. So I don't know. I haven't had a book like that where I've waited for release day so eagerly since. Yeah, to be fair, I think that's true. I don't know if there ever will be something like that, like that, because I was just such a global phenomenon. Yeah, everyone was invested. Yeah, exactly. Completely, yeah. It took me a long time to actually read the first one because like, I got the Philosopher's Stone and I I did the thing. The reason they changed it to Sorcerer's Stone in America, that's actually what happened to me because I was like, Philosopher's Stone? Oh, I don't know about philosophy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so then it was like years later. Yeah, it, was, it actually worked for me because I didn't get it. Again, I was kind of at the edge of coming out and it was still growing in the kind of passion at that point. So like I hadn't actually intersected with like how huge it was getting. Personally, so yeah, it was a. Then I came into it, I was like, oh, and then I started reading all of it. And yeah, I remember being like 19, I think I remember it was the fifth or sixth book, and being at a nightclub on the Saturday night and looking around at everyone around me and turning my managers, being like, class, and just being like, man, I think I'm probably the only person here who read all of the Harry Potter book today. (laughs) (laughs) I also, I remember going to school and like taking the last book with me to school and sitting there during recess and lunchtime, just in my own little world, reading this book. And Everyone was running around on the school grounds and talking to our friends. And, and there's just me in this little corner with the last, the Deathly Hallows book. And it was just, it literally took you to another place. And that's what I loved and still continue to love so much about the Harry Potter series. Mm. Well, I agree. And I think it's like, yeah, you know, I actually hadn't thought about until right now in this conversation, just how beautiful that was, how everyone was kind of united in sharing this journey together. I mean, and to be fair, I actually, Deathly Hallows is probably my second favorite of the series. Because I, I just think she managed to pull it off. And some people are like, oh, you know, it's easy because you can set it up. And then there's loose ends and stuff. It's like, well, it was satisfying. It was super satisfying ending. There are lots of books and movie series and all that kind of stuff that don't tie off everything, though. Like what Harry Potter did is they literally tied off everything to a point now where they've got spin-off books and they've got that kind of stuff and they've got spin-off movies. But it was so perfectly tied off, which also we haven't seen in, 
uh, the series necessarily because I feel like they always kind of leave it open so that if one day in 10 years they want to come back and write another one, they can. But the beauty about Harry Potter is that there, there won't be another one in that general series because of how perfectly it was all tied together at the end. Mm. No, I, I agree. So I was very impressed. I think, yeah, I was surprised when people didn't rate it. I was like, she pulled it off. She, she nailed the landing. I thought that was possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. No, so I, you know, I've not thought about my experiences at the shed sort of thing of that. And yeah, getting lost in that world and everything tying together. It was real fun. Did you get into the forums and stuff like that back then? A little bit. I was also on Pottermore. If you ever remember when Pottermore came out and you got to like find out what house you were in. I was a Hufflepuff. Which, <laughs> of course. You know, <laughs> we just, we know those things. So yeah, and I had the video game and I had the computer game and I am such a Harry Potter fan that to the point where a few years ago, I was over in London for work and I made the trek out to the studios and I got to explore the sets. And then when I was in America, I went down to Florida and went to Harry Potter World. And I got Ginny Weasley's wand. I don't know why. And there were a couple of years... Oh, actually, I'm now showing my age. I reckon it was about 10 or 12 years ago now where The Age or The Herald Sun did a Harry Potter special thing. And so do you remember when they used to have things in the newspapers that you used to clip out and then take into the newspaper and you could like exchange it for like footy cards or... Anyway, they did a Harry Potter thing and you could exchange it for each week. There was a different wizard's wand that you exchange it for and then you could buy the books that it came in and anyway I still have mine I think somewhere in my parents <laughs> house but like there's something about Harry Potter that no matter how old you get or how whatever it is there's something that keeps drawing you back to it and it's for me it's almost like a comfort thing mm. I think more than anything else yeah you mentioned that so I guess uh, we got to that I'm just wondering, I'm geeking out of Harry Potter first before we go into your very impressive work with young carers and stuff like that. But Ginny Weasley, I tell you what, no, she's one of those characters who really got done dirty in the movies. No, Seriously. Ah, kind of the difference between the two from just like two lines and completely passive to this, the most entertaining character possibly in the books outside of her mining, obviously. But yeah, it's in terms of like from a female perspective, yeah, criminal, yeah. criminal, criminal. She was so, so good. <laughs> Uh, but so to, to go on the comfort side of things, because when I was sending you uh, about this podcast, you were like trying to pick a literary thing and then you've kind of settled back on your actual favorite, which is always what I actually want in this show, because you prefer to use this as like a comfort sort of stuff. Like that's why you use reading, which is not at all a bad thing. And that's fantastic yeah. <laughs> other source of why people read. So I guess that does kind of segue into your work now with young carers and stuff and your own experience with that. So I guess, do you want to give people a quick summary of... Uh, yeah, Little Dreamers or how you got there before I... Yeah, definitely. So I grew up as a young carer for both my brother and my mum. So my brother is a bit over two and a half years younger than me and has been in and out of hospital since he was six months old. He has a range of chronic illnesses. He has asthma, epilepsy, encephalitis, fibromyalgia, and an adrenal insufficiency. And he's allergic to dairy, egg, soy, lavender, kiwi fruits, walnuts, and wool. But luckily, no anaphylaxis, which we love. And a lot of kind of the epilepsy and encephalitis has left significant scarring on his brain. So he has a lot of learning difficulties as well and just a really crappy immune system, basically. So what might be a cold for me or you might be pneumonia for my brother. Or when I had chickenpox, I gave them to my brother and they went to his lungs and he ended up in hospital. So that kind of stuff is what I've grown up with my whole life. And then when I was 14 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, she was very young. She was 41. 
And she went through chemotherapy, radiotherapy, three major surgeries and ended up having a hysterectomy at the end because it was hormone related breast cancer. And so she went into menopause at the tender age of 41, which is very young. Um, She was going through menopause at the same age or same time as her mother was going through menopause. So we had like my mom and my grandma at the same time, which is kind of funny. That's some comedy sets right there. Exactly. (laughs) And then at the same time, I've grown up caring alongside my dad and he's the most phenomenal, strong human that I've ever met. He's very resilient. He drives and leads my entire family in the sense that he's given up his entire life to care for his wife and his son and daughter. And yeah, I'm very lucky. And so for me, it was interesting growing up in a caring role. I knew from six years old how to pour out my brother's medicine and how to take his temperature and how to set up the asthma pump. And I thought that every child was going through that, but I didn't realize that they weren't. And so it was kind of a shock to me when I, as I grew up, realized that a lot of my friends don't know how to do that. And they don't know their way around hospitals. And they didn't know how to talk to doctors and what questions to ask and how to call an ambulance and how to pack a hospital bag. And so when I was nine years old, I turned to my best friend at the time and I said to her, how come nobody cares about me? At least that's what it felt like. And I think back to that question and I often think it's quite a selfish question to ask. But as a nine-year-old, you're meant to be quite selfish. Like at nine years old, your whole world is meant to revolve around yourself. And I think for me, I just didn't have that luxury. My world and every day had to be revolving around my family and, and what they needed and what they wanted. And so started running fundraising events at the age of nine. It's actually 20 years this year in June since I ran my first fundraising event, which is nuts. <laughs> so started running fundraising events when I was nine until I was about 13, 14 years old, uh, we raised about $20,000 for other community organizations that existed that ran siblings programs. So we funded the very first siblings camp for very special kids and, and a few other things like that. And then when my mom got sick, decided that we wanted to run our own charity. We wanted to create our own chain. Nobody was really doing exactly what we wanted, which was improving the quality of life for siblings and young carers. And so, yeah, in 2009, launched Little Dreamers. And it's kind of springboard spiraled since then. I guess uh, the two friends that I launched Little Dreamers with resigned not long after we launched. And they've gone on to do the most phenomenal things with their lives. And Little Dreamers is turning 13 this year. And now we work with about 5,000 kids per year across Australia. I have 50 staff that work for me, 65% of who have lived experience as carers. Our applications for support have increased by 370% over the last two years. And I get to do what I love every single day, which is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why it's... You've, <laughs> God, you're making me feel so lazy right now. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, I guess firstly, so in terms of little dreamers, when you say the siblings and the carer thing and how that impacted you. So you're saying that the the organization itself, it, it's looking after both the person who's sick, but then also their sibling. Is that kind of how it works or their relationship or how does it work? Yeah, so we support anyone who grows up in a family affected by disability, illness, or addiction. So we work with usually, or they're not always, a lot of the time the kids that we work with might have a disability themselves, but the primary reason they come to work, come to Little Dreamers is because they have a caring responsibility in their family. So they might be on the autism spectrum, but they might have a very significant caring role in their family themselves. We don't support the kids 
with the disabilities or the parents with the mental illness or whatever it might be. We support kids age four to 25 who provide unpaid care in their family. So we say young carers and siblings because a lot of people who care for a brother or a sister don't necessarily identify as a young carer. It's a really interesting terminology. I never identified as a young carer growing up. It's just mum. It's just my brother. It's just what you do, I guess. And that's what we see with a lot of our families. And so we say siblings and young carers. We often actually say just kids living in families affected by disability, illness or addiction, only because you might not think you have a caring role. You might not think you do anything that's a bit different, but you do a lot of things. And so you're impacted by that existence of illness, disability or addiction in your family, whether it's conscious or not. Mm. No, I think that's a very valid point because like you said yourself, like you didn't realize that no one else knew how to measure out pills and pack a hospital bag. Like that's, and anyone hearing that is like, well, how could you not know that wasn't normal? But for you, that's your life. So yeah, you don't even think of that as caring. You're just like, that's part of what you do. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like one in 10 kids in Australia grow up as young carers. Really? Which is insane. Oh yeah, yeah well, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. two yeah. to three kids in every single classroom. And that number is really, really high. And if you think back to your year 12 class, for example, there would have been two or three kids in that classroom that have caring responsibilities or had them in their family at the time. And we just don't talk about it. And it might be because there's a lot of stigma. It might be because you don't recognize yourself as a carer. There's lots of different reasons or you don't want to label yourself as a carer and kind of have another label on your family, I guess. It's it's really interesting because it is so common and so prevalent. And yet kids who provide care have such high risk factors in terms of social isolation, poor mental health, unemployment, financial disadvantage, educational disadvantage and all that kind of stuff. And if we don't provide support for them, or at least start to break down that stigma and open up conversations about young people providing care, we're never really going to crack what needs to be changed in terms of their risk factors as well. Yeah, I mean, it's true. The one thing I noticed is how you talk about the label side of things. And I think that might tie into this because t- it's the mental health aspect of these kids. I don't know, it's stuck at me because obviously you, you might have an experience of getting this label thing and you're like, these kids don't want the wrong kind of attention. But then like, is that was that your experience as well? Yeah, very much so. My brother was really badly bullied. I was really badly bullied at school and you don't want to stand out even more, right? Like my brother, because he's allergic to wool, he could never wear the winter school jumpers at school. He could only ever wear the sports jumper. So automatically, he always looked different. And kids made fun of him. And then kids would make fun of me because I was standing up for him and he was young and he should have been able to stand up for himself or whatever it might be. And so you don't want to stand out even more. For kids who are providing care for someone with a mental illness or an addiction, there's the added challenge of child protection or the fear of child protection getting involved and you being taken away from your family. It's definitely conversations that we've had with our families in the sense that someone from their school has called child protection because they found out that the child in their classroom was providing care for their brother and really shouldn't that be a parent's job? And like, it's really interesting that we speak to child protection and make sure that it's very clear that it's a caring role, not a neglect role. And so... There's lots of different layers to it. And and for me, I grew up as someone with mental health challenges. I have anxiety. I have had anxiety for my whole life. And it's something you don't want an extra label on necessarily. I didn't want to be diagnosed with anxiety. I didn't want to say that I had extra requirements of my own because I just had to give everything I needed to to my family. And they were always of a higher priority than me caring for myself. Hmm. And it would have been like that the whole time growing up. So I can imagine, yeah, you'd be trained to feel bad if you ever care about yourself, essentially. Yeah, yeah, very much so, which is, it's something that we always talk about with our kids is that you can't pour from an empty cup. 
and you need to be able to kind of fill your own cup as much as you help the people that you care for. But that's often really hard because their requirements or their caring requirements might be very visible and very time sensitive. Whereas you think that your own mental health is not, even though it is. And I'm very much a do what I say, not what I do kind of person because I am the worst when it comes to this. But yeah, it's very much you need to take care of yourself first because what do they say? Put on your own life vest first. How many additional cliche things can I bring into this one sentence, basically? Keep trying. I'm sure we've got a few more. (laughs) Moving goalposts, something, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's just really interesting because we always see the people who we care for who need the care and they need it now and they need their meds now or they need to go to this appointment or they need whatever it might be. And your own, what you feel like you need always feels like it needs to come second. But to be able to provide the best level of care to the person you care for, it actually needs to come first. Yeah, it's totally understandable where that view would come from. But at the same time, that's why it's so hard to kind of break through that and get be like, no, nah, you got to schedule in a day. And then it's like, yeah, then the day comes and then an issue comes up and then it's like, oh, I'll leave it till next week. And then, so, and you've had it even harder for yourself because now it's not just one person you're caring for, it's 5,000 kids. So. Yeah, exactly. And I see them all as my kids, which is really like, as in not my biological children, obviously, <laughs> but like in the sense that I know their stories, I've watched a lot of them grow up. I've known them and their families for years and any challenge that is in their family, I feel it too. And I'm very much an empath. I feel what other people feel. And so, yeah, it's something that I've had to really try and teach myself in the sense that it's not my family. Like, yes, I know them and I'm doing everything I can in my power to improve their quality of life and to give them the best opportunities. But ultimately, I'm not a doctor. I can't solve these medical mysteries that exist. And so it's as someone who is a little bit of a control freak and also who has anxiety, it's something that I've had to kind of train myself to say, okay, well, I can control X, but I cannot control A, B, C, D, whatever to get to X. So So there would be an element of that though, with dealing with someone who's got more chronic illness, when they're being like, oh, I can't fix, all I can do is care and make their life better then you can't cure it, right? Yeah, it's really frustrating. (laughs) It's frustrating (laughs) to the point where like, I see my brother and he's amazing and he's wonderful and I'm so proud of him every day. But I'm like, I just, I wish I could fix this. Or like when he was so sick when he was younger, I used to tell my mom that I wanted to be, except the fact that I hate blood, I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to solve all of these things. And we see that so much with our kids that we work with. They want to be speech pathologists or occupational therapists or doctors or nurses or teachers, social workers, because they want to go into the professions that A, they saw growing up and they were around a lot, but B, they want to go into professions that helped their family and changed their family's lives and they want to then do that for other people. Mm. Yeah, again, it makes sense because yeah, you've experienced the benefits and joy of that. So yeah, you want to spread that on. So I guess... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm just trying to think I can tie this all back to Harry Potter. <laughs> I can tell. I mean, I was going to say that for me growing up, I, I had so much responsibility in my family and I had, I constantly had to be on. The minute that I got up in the day, I had to be on. And even now running my organization and I'm studying and doing all these things, I wake up in the morning and from the minute I wake up until the minute I go to sleep, I am on and I'm doing something. And the reason I love books and the reason I love reading so much is that you can literally you go somewhere else. And I find that if I sit down and watch a movie or sit down and watch a TV show, I've got my phone next to me, I'm texting, I'm playing on Wordle, I'm doing whatever I need to do at the same time as watching something. When you're reading a book, you're reading a book. And if I have to pick up my phone, I have to stop reading and I have to pick up my phone and I get to go somewhere completely different. And it's one of the reasons why I love... I have the weirdest variety of books that I read. But I, I love the books that get to, I get so entrenched in the story and in what I'm reading that I literally get to forget and where I am and everything that's going on in my life. And it's one of the reasons I loved Harry Potter so much. Mm. Well, I mean, that's part of like the self-care, I guess, is just taking yourself out of the situation for a bit, especially with anxiety and stuff. It's like, let me just go somewhere else for a little bit. And yeah, it's, it's weird because it can sound like something we are, you know, you're getting away from things, but it's like you're getting it, you're having a break and it's like very healthy in that sense. And that's what I was saying when you were talking about the books to like, this is such a great use for it. And you've said something there, which I totally agree with when I think about when people talk about like audiobooks versus like the other books and like the audiobooks have got nothing against them. And they're super great for, especially for people who are much struggle with reading for whatever reason. I think they're great because they've opened up reading to them. But the issue with them is that you're always going to end up doing something else. Books are so unique because you literally can't do anything else. You can't text, you can't do it. Like you, you have to read the words. otherwise <laughs> You just can't take it in. And, and I do listen to audiobooks as well. And I listen to podcasts as I go for a walk. And yeah, I listen to audiobooks as I go for walks, but they're different types of books. I'll listen to a coaching book, a book that will help me with my work, life, a book that can kind of give me tips and tricks on being a better manager or leader or helping with resilience or whatever it might be. I'll listen to those books if on an audiobook because I'll do other things. Like I might put them on in the morning while I'm getting ready or put them on while I'm putting a load of washing on or whatever it might be when I'm taking my dog for a walk. But they're for a different point of reading and listening rather than what I love to do, which is get immersed in something that I forget what time it is. And all of a sudden I've been reading for two hours and it's three o'clock in the morning and I should have been in bed ages ago. Yeah, no, that's the point of self-care. Sometimes it's irresponsible with the, yeah, how you use your time. It's like, I was inefficient from this window to this window. No good. All right. No more exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's also one of the reasons why I stop reading sometimes when work gets really busy, because I find that it feels inefficient, right? Like you're sitting and you're doing nothing. But really, isn't that the point of self-care? I, this is why I say do what I say and <laughs> not what say, I do. You're totally proving the point immediately. Yeah. What other stuff do you do personally for like the self-care side of things? 
Oh, I'm the worst person to ask about this. Um, I <laughs> Your company's literally exclusively about it. <laughs> it is, exactly. Which is, once again, do what I say, not what I do. I play with my puppy. So, I mean, she's not a puppy anymore. She's three, which I don't know. We can still call her a puppy. I have a rescue pup. Her name is Daisy. She's amazing. And she makes me stop working because she's very needy. And she sits there and she'll like scratch at you until you play with her. She's like, you're in patting distance, but you're not patting me. Why not? And I get to bring her into the office every day with me, which I love. That's also the benefit of creating your own business is that you get to make it dog friendly if you want to. I spend time with my wonderful partner. He came into my life at a time where my anxiety was really, really bad and helped me to see the beauty in life. He's very much the opposite of me in the sense that he very much calms me and grounds me and also makes me stop, which I I love and I appreciate him till the end of the earth. Other than that, I read, I take very long showers, which is very not good as to what we should be doing for the environment. But I find that for me to be able to do self-care, I need to force myself to not be able to work. So having a really long shower, obviously you can't work. Although sometimes I do make lists in the shower. So the steam, you're just like, oh, let's, just catch, <laughs> let's do some budget reconciliations here in the steam. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is I love going for a walk, but I often will find myself texting or emailing or on the phone while I'm walking. So I need to be doing something that literally forces me not to work or not to think about work, which is something I'm trying to get better at. We haven't found the magical cure yet. <laughs> But the next thing I do, that's going to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think the classic is like always, yeah, it's forcing it. That's always fun. Like even the dumbest little thing, like I know for me, the phone never being in the bedroom when I go to bed, like that's complete game changer for... But what do you do for an alarm? I've got an alarm clock. Okay. That was a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I then I'll need to go out and buy an alarm clock. Oh, well, then forget it. It's... Buy an alarm <laughs> clock, you're right. God, I can't believe I did it, to be honest. Damn it took it. me years. <laughs> so. I really should do that. But then I have a fear that my family's going to need me in the middle of the night and I'm not going to hear my phone. Yeah, that is the concern. And look, and that's why I might be saying this from a position of honestly, like as in luxury, like privilege, where I don't actually have that concern as much, where you might have a more realistic reason to worry about that. But then again, I don't know, could you have... It's-, it's interesting though, because my boyfriend, he also grew up as a carer, but he turns his phone off, puts it on airplane mode at whenever he goes to sleep and then turns it off when he wakes up in the morning. And I'm like, but what if your family needs you in the middle of the night? He's like, well, then they could get me in the morning. He's like, if something so bad has happened in the middle of the night, then it can wait until the morning. And I just have never, I think with my anxiety, I've never had that. I need to be contactable at all times. And that's something I need to flip because that's also, it's a very bad habit to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just listing all the problems that you just haven't resolved at all <laughs> for yourself. In exactly. <laughs> My other problem is that I read multiple books at once. So like at the moment, I have four books on my bookshelf, on my bedside table. And I just alternate depending on how I'm feeling on the day. And that's also, it's very, very bad because then I just have this constant feeling of never being finished with anything. Well, look, I think I enforce too much. I got to be telling you, my rule is usually just like one fiction, one nonfiction and one wildcard is just the way I try to split it out. Look, I think more than two fictions is like, what are you doing? What are you, I'm going to judge you for this, man. 
You can judge me. You're That's a monster. Because... You're a monster. You know, someone had to say it. <laughs> well, you think about the fact that a book should never be a hard decision, right? You should just go into bed or sit on the couch or sit on a beach if you can and pick up a book and read, right? Whereas now, because I've got four on the go, I have to at night decide which one I'm going to read. And then I sit there for 10 minutes and then I'm like, I may as well just watch TikTok instead, which is not the benefit. It's not the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, I actually even consider that. And you're right. It's like whenever you get 10 books sitting there on your bookshelf that you've got to get through, by the time you get to like the sixth, the problem there is that what you've done is essentially like six times or that. I'm not going to want to read that. So you're doing that every night. You're like, well, I don't want to read this. So that means just you're, you're training your brain to be like, I don't want to read that. I've got no interest in I've said no to it 12 times now. Why would I read it now? That garbage book. Why else would I not have read it already? Exactly. I think I need to go home tonight and put some books back on the bookshelf. They've all been started. That's the only problem. Yeah, but come on, how far into it, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I know it's each their own. That's, I'm not one to ever judge someone's reading habits. If they're just enjoying books, then, uh, you know, that's... Can, you can judge mine, that's fine. No, no, no. You know, I've got a... <laughs> my, my girlfriend, she uh, she also starts books and sometimes uh, will then switch across to something else, which is great. You know, I'm supportive. <laughs> And if she starts a new one, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, a new one. Really? Another one. Didn't, didn't, really? Didn't finish the, Really? Right now? <laughs> How was the last one? Oh, you didn't finish the last one? Okay. Okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not some maniac. So yes, I understand. And I'm totally supportive of it. Reminds me of when my mom used to get mad at me because I would never finish a board game because when I was a kid, I used to get frustrated when I wasn't winning. So then I'd just walk away from it. <laughs> that is a very definitive statement right there. Just getting up and walking away. It doesn't say a lot about my ability to run a business, does it? I'm just frustrating me. I'm just going to get up and walk away. From yeah, this. just going to leave this. <laughs> I guess they even like maybe as long as actually, yeah, as soon as you're definitively losing, you're like, I'm out. Yeah, which is actually really interesting because what I've seen through Little Dreamers over the past 13 years is that I get motivated by frustration. And so I feel like, yes, there are definitely things that we've tried in our organization that haven't worked. And I have literally done that. Okay, I'm just going to put this here and never come back to it again. But there are other things where people have said, Oh, no, I don't think you can do that. Or I don't think that's possible. And I'm like, nah, watch me. And I feel like I get that from characters that I've met in books and my family and lots of different places. It's kind of like Hermione Granger, right? Like people said, you can't do this or you're not strong enough to do this or you're not, you're too much of a girl to do this and things like that. And she's like, nah, I can turn time. Watch me. I can be in four places at once. It's fine. I got a thing. I love that. That's straight away the thing you're aspiring to the most. You're like, I get so much done if I did time to... You have no idea how much I need one of those and want one of those in my life. If I could find one of those that could literally put me in two places at once, it would be a game changer. You could do twice the work. I could do twice the work. We could be 26 years ahead in where we are at Little Dreamers rather than 13 years into our journey. Yeah, you, know, you could just be relaxed as well. And just spend the time do that. caring for something. No, 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 no. Let's do, do twice the work. Yeah, yeah. And then feel twice the guilt because you could be doing three times the work. Yes. And I am from a Jewish background. And so guilt is in our blood. It's something that's very natural for me. So that guilt, I already feel it. Imagine with a time tender and being able to do things twice and double the guilt of still not getting enough done. It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> that does appeal, doesn't it? You're like, ah, oh, more guilt. Mm, 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 yeah. <laughs> Infinite guilt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you probably want to use the time travel device for other things though as well. <laughs> That's the case. 
Yeah. You've mentioned uh, your mum there as well, but uh, you did briefly mention your dad. And I actually just want to quickly ask about that because I feel like, is it weird to have like your situation where there's two people in the family who maybe were uh, like quite ill? And then, so your dad seems to have really stood up as like this hero to you and everything. And it sounds like you might've taken a bit from him in what you're doing and stuff. It's actually really interesting. My dad always gets forgotten about in our family because (laughs) (laughs) my mom and my brother, obviously they've been really sick. They require a lot of care. My mom has a very big personality. She's always worked in community services. She is very well known within the community. And, And then there's my beautiful dad and he has always worked so incredibly hard and he's tried lots of things and he's always tried his hardest to provide for the family. And it hasn't always been easy. We struggled financially a lot as as kids and I watched my dad work his ass off to try and make ends meet. And he hasn't always made the best decisions, but like nobody has in the sense that we invested in like an age... Oh my God. It was like, I think my family invested in this aged care services business in the sense that we had like raised garden beds and like things that could clip onto gardening tools that older people could use to then use in their garden. Anyway, it was a bust. It was the worst (laughs) thing that ever happened. And we ended up with all these raised garden beds and things. And like, but at least he tried. Right. And that's, I think that's what I've taken most from my dad, apart from the fact that he is just an incredible, incredible human. He's beautiful. He's very nice. He, everyone loves him. He's very funny. Although now that he's going to be listening to this, he's going to realize that I think he's funny. And then it's just all hell's going to break loose. He's going to think he's actually funnier than he is. The family group chat's going to get lit, right? Oh, exactly. I think the thing that I've learned most (laughs) from my dad is just his perseverance and his drive and his desire to leave the world in a better place and how he found it. And that I think growing up, I've always spoken about how much I appreciate my mom and how much I appreciate everything she's done for the family. But I think that I have never spoken about how much I appreciate my dad. And I'm actually excited to be able to talk about him with you and in this space because I think he deserves all the public recognition and acknowledgement that he can get, really. Yeah. And like your attention-seeking mom always claiming the spotlight. <laughs> no. But, I mean, I my, <laughs> no, my mom is beautiful and my mom deserves all of the gratitude yeah, no. and acknowledgement as well. And I think that... I just think that I've publicly thanked her more than I've publicly thanked my dad. And my dad had it tough. I mean, caring for both my brother and my mom. And there's one particular story that jumps out at me. My mom was in hospital going through treatment for chemotherapy, like going through her chemotherapy treatment. Me and my brother were staying with friends. And my dad came home very late at night. We were in a rental property that was next door to a park. My dad came home very, very late one night and the house had been broken into. And they'd made such a mess and they'd taken a lot of stuff, including one of my mum's necklaces that she got as a kid. And I'd actually asked her before she went into hospital if I could wear her necklace because it was very special to her and she couldn't take it into hospital. And she said, no, no, it'll be safer at home, which you know, famous last words because it wasn't. But my dad came home and the whole house had been broken into and he mobilized a group of his friends and my uncle and they came over and they cleaned up the place and they made sure that by the time me and my brother and my mom got home that everything was back to normal. And I mean, it wasn't normal because we'd lost all this stuff, but it was just the way... And he does it so quietly. He never asks for recognition. He never asks for acknowledgement. He just gets it done and we move on. And I don't think as a family that I've been able to thank him enough for just how hard he's worked over the years to make our family what it is. Mm, that's beautiful, I'm sure. Like, yeah, he'll be, he'll be happy to hear it, I guess. But probably <laughs> want to care as well. He'll be like, oh, whatever. 
<laughs> that all added two seconds. She didn't need to mention me this much. It's yeah, no, embarrassing. Come on. It's embarrassing for everyone, please. You're embarrassing me. How could you do that? Come on. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so I do want to touch on two more things quickly before uh, signing off, both vaguely Harry Potter related. I guess the first one slightly more so because I think one of the features of Harry Potter, which I guess is a lot of the young adult fiction as well, but like the, the friendship of everyone supporting each other with all that stuff throughout. So I was wondering, like with your experience as the young Karen, even you said your friends who started the business with you, was that something that was really fundamental to you early on and like getting that support from your peers because there was no little dreamers to kind of give that there? I think... Yes and no. I think that for when I was younger, I really struggled with friends when I was younger. I was I was really badly bullied. I was kind of a floater in the sense that I had a lot of friends from lots of different areas of my life, but I didn't have a solid group of best friends that I can look back now and go, you know what? I'm still best friends with my friends from high school or I'm still best friends with my friends from uni or whatever it might be. I think that I've always been the kind of person who kind of floats between things and people. I'm very lucky to say that now I have a very solid, incredible group of best friends. And I think that if I had the group of best friends that I have now and how supportive they are when I was younger, I think that that would have been a game changer for me. And so I looked at the friendships in books like Harry Potter and I was like, damn it, I really want this. My mom always used to tell me to act like a duck and let the water kind of wash off my back. And she always used to tell me one day you will find your people and it will all make sense. And it took me a while, but I found them now and I don't know what I would do without them. And I think rereading or I rewatched all of the Harry Potter films last year and I can watch them back with a different lens because I'm like the friendship where you give up everything to support each other, that does exist. And I have that now, but I definitely didn't have it as a kid. And it's beautiful to watch it back now and feel those warm and fuzzy feelings rather than that jealousy of like, I want that. Why can't I have that? So But yeah, I think that friendships is something that is so fundamental to our kids. And it's one of the things that we do try and build out as much as we can at Little Dreamers through our programs is that socialization aspect to it. Yeah, because I guess it can be hard, especially when you focus so much at home to, again, it's that selfishness almost thing. It's like you always got to go. So it's like, how do you yeah balance that? That's really nice. And I, I guess I do, this is probably maybe an awkward topic, but obviously the recent stuff with Harry Potter, you can't really say it without obviously the, uh, all the debacle right now going on. So I guess, do you have any thoughts on that? What JK Rowling has kind of come out and said with her views, which are a bit backwards and exclusionary? I don't like JK Rowling. I have no time for her as a person. I think that what I've tried to do is separate the author from the books that she created. And no, the books are not perfect. They're problematic. They have themes in them that, or people's names that are not that (laughs) great. If if you read through them now, and they weren't great then either, right? Like no piece of literature is ever perfect. And I think that what a lot of the actors have come out and said post JK Rowling's comments is that you can interpret a lot of the stories into however you want them to feel for you. And I think that yes, the author can write things in a particular way, but that emotion and that feeling and that interpretation doesn't always relate to you. And you might read Dumbledore's storyline as something completely different to how J.K. Rowling originally wrote it. And I think that that's what I try and do is that I don't agree with her. I don't think that, well, first of all, whoever's advising her and telling her to say these things, 
they should lose their job because you think that like PR people, that's what they're there for, right? To like shape your image into that aside. I think once you've got $4 billion, you might not listen to the PR people as much. I mean, that's very true. It's what we see with Donald Trump. That's (laughs) fair. I think that like, I don't agree with her. I don't think she has any place in being a part of the Harry Potter story anymore. And we saw that with the Harry Potter reunion or anniversary documentary that was on Disney Plus earlier this year, that she wasn't even part of it. And whether she was asked or whether she wasn't, we don't know. But she doesn't need to have a role in the way and in the legacy of Harry Potter. And I think that's that's what's most important for me. Yeah. No, look, I, I actually 100% agree. And I think people can change and sometimes not in good ways. No. So like as well, so you know, just got, she might have written it there from a different place to where she's because like even you read the story and you're like, this could easily be about uh, trans acceptance and coming into a community that you didn't realize you're a part of. So it's like it's crazy to go from that to where you end up. But I mean, there's actually several authors I can think of where they've gone on this weird journey where you're like, how could you write that and then end up yeah. at that point? Well, of that's view? the whole thing, right? Like you look at Ron Weasley's story and he's a misfit family that that isn't appreciated by the community. They make fun of the Weasleys and all that kind of stuff. Yet he's a hero in his own right and everyone respects him and everyone everyone respects Molly Weasley in the way that she's brought up that family. But depending on how you read it and how you interpret it, you could see them in two completely... Like he was set up in the beginning to be a fumbling idiot that nobody should take seriously. And by the end, he's one of the key reasons that they were able to destroy all the Horcruxes and get to the end of the line. It's the same with Neville Longbottom, right? Like First of all, his story arc, brilliant. But <laughs> he's the same, right? People look down on him, people make fun of him, and yet he's got this hero redemption storyline. But how you read it, some people could read it as, well, Neville just got lucky. And other people can be like, no, he worked his ass off to get to that point. And I think that Harry Potter is a beautiful community that accepts everyone. And they show that in the books. And they show that in the stories. And I think that's how I want to keep reading it and keep interpreting it. No, I think I, my stance is very much on that just because like, it's not the same thing. So we should treat it as two different things because I feel like that almost forced people to have to choose their stance versus their love for something that they've grown up with. And you can have both in this kind of view. And it, actually, you can make it support both. So It's the same. My favorite movie of all time is Grease. And race, recently, there's been all these comments about how it's anti-feminist and blah, blah. I'm like, look, just let me love Grease, right? Danny changes as much as Sandy does. Let me love it. Leave it alone. I feel the same about Harry Potter. <laughs> I love that. I've got to say, I did not come here expecting a Grease Harry Potter uh, comparison <laughs> and I'm here for it. Okay. I'm glad I could provide. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's enough for us. So thanks very much for being on the show. That was really fun. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. And stuff. Thank you for having me. That's okay. Is there anywhere you want to guide anyone where anyone could check out your stuff or you? Yeah, or- definitely. If you want to find out more about Little Dreamers, you can head to our website, littledreamers.org.au or you can follow us on social media, Little Dreamers Australia on Instagram and Facebook. But if you do know of anyone who is a carer, is a young carer or anything like that who needs support, direct them to Little Dreamers. Yeah, thanks for that because yeah, what you're doing is great. It's amazing. And uh, it's a focused part of the amount of care that would go in with siblings. So yeah, definitely. I'll put links to that all down below. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for being on the show. No worries. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sanspants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com. For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.